0: This is What's the Big Idea from Able Communications, a podcast about ideas, where they come from, what they have the power to achieve, and why some ideas catch on while others falter.
1: Welcome to What's the Big Idea? I'm Greg Abel, founder and CEO of Abel Communications. And joining me today is Mary Beth Highland, who just published her new book, Permission to Be Human. And Mary Beth is also a consultant who helps companies with their culture, internal communication, and all-around uh, superstar who's really made her mark here in Baltimore and nationally over the last couple of years. So thanks for being here, Mary Beth.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a gift to be a part of this new experience with you, Greg.
1: Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. Why don't we start by you just talking a little bit about the business and the work you do?
0: So my business is Spark Vision, and we. it's hard to believe this is the longest job I've ever had. I crossed over that uh, year marker a couple years ago. So we've been around for about seven years and we work with individuals and organizations to help them understand what their values are and then learn how to actually embody those values, right? How do you create a daily practice of being in alignment with your values? How do you create a culture that's in alignment with your values? How do you start by understanding where you're out of alignment, right? So there's so much stress and anxiety and burnout and insomnia and health issues going on, particularly where we are in this moment in time. And my work is really using values as a solution for that, using values as a tool for well being and as a tool for connecting ourselves to our humanity at its core, and then seeing how incredible the results are when you do that in community, whether that's at work or at home or wherever you're going that you're able to lead.
1: Well, Mary Beth, I'm I'm fascinated by where ideas come from, where inspiration comes from. So tell us a little bit about how this came about. And I know from reading your book and knowing you that you had, you know, some some hits and misses in terms of earlier jobs in your career that you liked or didn't like for a particular reason. So I'm guessing it comes from trial and error in your professional life. But give us a little bit of where the inspiration to start Spark Vision came from.
0: I had worked for other people for a very long time, like the majority of us before you start your own business. And so, through that process, you learn so much about I really loved that, I really hated that, right? Where was my energy being filled? Where was my energy being drained? And as you alluded to in the book, I talk about quite a a bit. I I often felt just like such an, an outcast in the workplace. I felt like a loner. I felt like an underdog. I just did not understand why the people around me didn't care about people the way that I cared about people. And especially when it came to cultural norms within organizations that it was just like, wait, this doesn't make any sense. Why are we not experiencing this in a way that's going to support us instead of create issues and boundaries and barriers simply by not slowing down and not seeing the bigger picture. And so it was really uh, my whole career. I mean, I, I'm i like starting to get on the edge of like no longer being a young professional. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, 37 and in a place of just like, Um, My every single year of my career leading up to this, and a lot of people might, you know, peg me as the classic millennial in in this, but um, it was just an experience of feeling like I thought I was being hired for something. And then once I started the role, it was not that. It was not the experience that was advertised on the pretty marketing pages of the website or the way the interview went about the values that they embodied and were so important to them. And so it was just job after job, year after year, having an experience of disconnect and not being in alignment. And then in my last role, having this incredible opportunity to create a counterculture and to go out and really develop a robust program that became a global proven practice model for young professional engagement within the nonprofit sector and It was an experience where people were coming to me from all over the world asking me, how are you engaging young people? How are you doing this work? We've never seen the results that you're seeing in Baltimore. And it was really about giving people permission to be human. It was really about meeting people where they were, understanding what ignited them, what were those intrinsic motivators, those values that connected us, and then creating an experience and a culture and environment accountability in which we really honored those things as a part of what it meant to be together. And so that is what gave me the oomph, you know, to say, you know what? there's something to this. If I've only been doing this work for a few years and I'm being seen as the global leader in this for a global organization, which was the United Way organization, which has is the largest nonprofit in the world, right? If they're telling me that I'm doing the best at this globally, there's got to be more people who are looking for this kind of support. And I could really build off of that expertise that honestly felt like common sense um, and then it eventually turned into much, uh, much more strategic in the process.
1: So Marybeth, the big idea that you have come to the market with is, you know, from, from knowing you, from reading your book, from talking to you, I would encapsulate as values-driven leadership, uh, conscious leadership, values-driven culture. Um, and I want to get into that a little bit because I think that's what we want to examine today, which first of all the th- first thing that comes to mind is it it's somewhat surprising but maybe it shouldn't be that this isn't the norm because a lot of companies will talk about their values they'll talk about why they exist and the culture they want to foster but in your experience and mine as well prior to starting companies you find that some of those values that are written about maybe even um posted on the wall on a poster aren't followed through and so I guess let me ask let me start there w- why do you think it is that Leading with values is such a rare find in the business world. Well,
0: one thing that I'm really grateful for is there's much more research on this topic now. And many people I think who care about this work are familiar with Brene Brown, who is a is a amazing leader in this space of understanding empathy and vulnerability and, you know, our human connection and particularly in the workplace. And so her research showed that less than 10% of people who have stated values in their organization actually live them. And I will say, and, and Greg, you know, you can certainly weigh in here too. I'm sure in your work, you get a, a quite a peek into this, um, that, that is really true. You know, that's really accurate from what I've experienced. And, and I got to tell you, whenever I give a speech or um, and, and facilitating something, I ask people, particularly if it's a group that's a mixed group, right? Like an association of a bunch of different organizations in the audience. I'll say, raise your hand if your organization has values. And then I'll say, without looking, keep your hand raised if you can tell me what they are. <laughs> and then I'll say, keep your hand raised if you can give me an example of living them in the last week.
1: And how and do you do? How many two. hands are still up?
0: Maybe one or two, you know, yeah. maybe one or two. And, and it it really shifts things because I've, I've like, I've put a poll out. So I'm very active on LinkedIn. And so I put a poll out on LinkedIn and I just said, how often does your organization live its values? And it was like, 75% of people said they did live They live their values every day. And I was just like, okay, so what's the disconnect here? Beautiful that, that, that they feel that way. That's great, right? I'm not going to knock that if that's how they feel. But what I'm talking about isn't just about nice feelings. It's about, well, how are they a part of your... Um, interview process? How are they a part of your decision making with hires? How are they a part of your onboarding? How are they a part of their one-on-ones, your coaching, your annual reviews, how you terminate people, who you decide to be promoted? How are you using them as a tool for creating a sustainable culture? Right? All of these kinds of things that take nice ideas into tangible, concrete actions so that they are not just a, well, you know, I feel good today, and so I'm in alignment with my values. But rather, okay, well, what specifically did you do that you can really put a benchmark towards and or say like this is where I'm making progress, right? right. This is where I'm making a difference. this is what I'm choosing. And so, yeah, I, I don't know if i if I answered your question here because I kind of went off on a little rant um of just like that is. Was the question why do I why do I think
1: this is the case? <laughs> well, I, first of all, I like rant, so that's fine. I, I I was really kind of getting at like why is there a disconnect between, every, you know, almost every company, whether it's on their website or in some kind of like the new hire mm. packet, says these are our core values, and they'll say them, and then you've found, and, and I think your speaking is in demand because people want to feel like values are valued, but they're not followed through on. And my question was really around like, well, why? Like if we know that living through values um, helps companies, makes employees feel more connected, helps you with recruiting and retention, helps you with business. But then out in the real world, so to speak, there's a disconnect. It doesn't happen. And I guess what has your research taught you that about the why it doesn't happen? Who's missing the mark here? Well,
0: everyone you know, and I, and I hate to say it like so broadly like that, but I say everyone from a place of like, it's not just the HR person. It's not just the CEO. It's not just the leader. It's it's us as humans in general. We're, we're missing the connection that is so apparent once you have the tools to understanding it. And so I think that, um, right, there's a certain group of the population who's really into this and, and doing great strides, but as you just heard, less it's less than 10%. But those folks are like making incredible strides. And it really comes down to things like emotional intelligence, self-awareness, right? Having um, mindfulness skills, right? You really cannot live and create a culture of uh, values-driven experiences if you're not mindful, if you're not able to be present and aware of what's going on in the moment.
1: Right. And
0: it's hard. I mean, it's emotional it is. intelligence isn't like, oh, take this 101 course and now you got it. It's a journey for the rest of your life.
1: <laughs> well, you obviously advocate for conscious leadership. Well, I mean, just to kind of go there for a second, what is unconscious leadership?
0: Yeah, that, that's um, unconscious leadership is directly correlated to folks who have values and don't live them. And so this is an idea of, um, so consciousness is really about being present, about being aware, about being awake, right? About um, being mindful. And unconsciousness is the opposite of that. I mean, like, literally, it's like when you're passed out, right? But so many (laughs) of us are in an experience where we're just going through the motions unconsciously. You know how you'll, like, just drive yourself home and you don't even know how you got there? Yeah. Because you're just so – you know what to do. Your your body is in the routine. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, and so – that's what we do at work and particularly when it comes to folks that are high performers like myself you know i it took me a lot of deep um, treatment. You know, I, I, I had to be actually treated for a work addiction through um, therapy because I literally did not know how to slow down my racing thoughts. I did not know how to be in the present moment. I did not know how to not feel constantly like I wasn't good enough or I didn't have enough time or, you know, I was so behind on everything that I wanted to do. Meanwhile, I'm getting like global recognitions, but I was never, ever, ever going to be good enough. That's somebody who's suffering with being unconscious. You know, that's somebody right. who's suffering with with being a, a victim of life instead of realizing, like, oh, I actually can make some choices here. I was in a position that I had no idea there were choices. The only choice I knew was to work more because that made the racing thoughts go down and it made me feel more successful. And the people around me, the culture I was in, celebrated it. They were like, this is amazing how much you've gotten done, versus like why are you working at 3 a.m.?
1: <laughs> well, what advice do you give leaders to make sure they have a high performing team that doesn't overdo it? Because I think, look, in the uh, last couple of years with the pandemic, everybody is worried about burnout. There's a lot of talk of the great resignation, and people are just kind of examining their lives more thoughtfully. You know, I think this consciousness perhaps has been forced upon us because when you're not able to do your normal things, you do start to think more about, well, what am I doing and why am I doing those things? So (laughs) I think that's been a collective experience, which has been interesting. And maybe even uh, there's a long-term benefit for our collective mental health, I hope, but maybe the specific question I wanted to ask you is how do you coach leaders to, you know, help their employees avoid burnout?
0: That's like such a, such an important question right now. And Again, the research is showing that this is the most burnt out that we have ever been globally as a human, human race. Um, right now in the U.S., it's showing 77% of people are saying that they're experiencing burnout, which is just extreme. And so in my work, there are some weird benefits to that in the sense of a lot of times you got to be in a lot of pain before you're going to actually get help and before you're going to make a change. Right. And that, that's for all of us. Right. That's for all of us. Myself included. I was suffering for years and years and years until I just was suffering so much that it was like, all right, now I got to find help. Like I got to do something to to, to break. This. Right.
1: It finally got bad enough, I guess, that I can't live this way any longer. Um, and that's
0: what's happening with this great resignation right? This great Yeah, awakening. that's the white
1: flag, isn't it? It's like, you know what, I'm done. And I think for uh, business leaders, what we have to recognize is you don't want to get that notice with a resignation email or, or, or call. You want to have the conversation before it happens so that you can start putting in maybe policies, practices um, for people to be able to talk about this and to adapt. And I think to me, the most challenging thing is wanting to run a high-performing environment, but not overdo it. And I feel like there's a fine yeah. line there that's yep. tricky. Um, so, what's your experience been there? Because you know you're going to talk to CEOs who are like, "Like, we got to perform, or we don't yeah. have a business yeah. to manage." But on the other side, we better treat our employees well, or we won't have the people here to do the work. So, yeah. um, I don't know how do you how do you find that, and maybe um, some tips on on. and and observations on what you've seen from companies doing it well
0: yeah so there's there's two sides to that one is around just boundaries in general and the other is around the the leadership embodiment of this work so i can't tell you how many executives come to me and say our people are so burnt out and we don't know what to do and so you know we we can start a mindfulness series for them. We can, we can look at their cultural norms, right? There's lots of opportunities. But the first thing I say is, how are you doing? (laughs) Right? Right. Like, how is that exactly doing? Yeah. And they're like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm experiencing the same, but I'm really, I'm, I'm, you know, hanging in there. I'm, you know, keeping it down for the team and, and holding it down for the team, all these things. And you're like, right. But how, how are you? What are you doing to support your own levels of stress and burnout? And, you know, back when we were in person more regularly, so many teams were creating these like mindfulness rooms or meditations rooms or spaces of well being. And the CEOs would come to me and say, Nobody's using the well being room. I don't understand. When no one's using them. We paid all this money and people are just taking phone calls in there. And so I say, when's the last time you used the well-being room?
1: (laughs) Good question.
0: And they say, well, I don't need the well-being room.
1: Yeah, I don't go in there. Are you kidding me?
0: And I say, well, there's your number one opportunity. There's where you start. I mean, I literally just went through this exercise with one of my long-term clients who um, they're a a large foundation. And um, I was talking to the the CEO and, and and the number two, and we were talking about how We needed everybody to let something go. We were doing a let it go campaign of like, what's one thing you're going to let go this week and so that you're not, you know, overwhelmed. And so I said to them, so what are the, what are the things you're both going to be letting go of? And that was really difficult, right? They were okay with giving other people permission to let things go, but it was very difficult for them to. And I said, here's what you're going to do. You are in the beginning of each meeting you have with this executive team. You're going to tell them what you let go of that day. So you're going to start telling them so that it shows them they have permission also. And, if, and it, you're going to start embodying it that way versus like, okay, people, you all go do that thing. That's a nice idea, um, but that doesn't apply to me.
1: Right. So the, the you know suggestion here is if you want a culture of people who are going a little easier on themselves and not burning out, you better take care of yourself first. You better yeah. lead by start- example. Yeah. And
0: even and even be vulnerable in the process and say like I don't really know how to do this, right? You don't have to pretend to have all the answers all the time. This whole idea of permission to be human is so powerful because people are so at ease, they feel a sense of connection when they know they're not alone. You t- you mentioned, you know, keynotes and stuff. I've been on a lot of sort of like pre- preparing preparation calls with various organizations and determining, you know, what we're going to do for certain sections that I customize for different groups. And I can't tell you how many times people will say, oh, in, in the planning session, two of the organizers will talk about something they're going through, and they'll have a breakthrough because both of them assumed that e- both of those parties had all of it together. And they had never <laughs> right. ever once discussed that there was any possibility that they were experiencing these kinds of things. And so it w- it's been so powerful even just to recognize that, um, when we just say like, I don't, I don't have this figured out, but I'm, but I'm on a journey to, and I, and I invite you to be on the journey with me and like, let's make this happen. And, you know, maybe we're going to bring in an expert to help us with that. Maybe we're going to engage in some free online stuff, right? Like there's lots of ways that you can go about this, but the first step is meeting yourself where you are instead of where you want to be. Cause you really, when it comes to well being. It doesn't happen overnight. It is a daily journey. I mean, I literally coach and teach and facilitate this work day in and day out. And I am in constant need of being able to remind myself that I have this permission too.
1: Yeah, I think that's really important for all of us. I, I find it in myself. I remember we're recording this uh, in the first couple of days of January. And in, in I, I remember just looking at the calendar in October, November, like, waiting for the middle of December to come because I knew I was going to take two weeks off and I was kind of like just struggling to the finish line. And I, I did share with the people around me, like, I'm tired. Like, I'm going to take some time off and I'm not going to check on things. And, you know, two things happened in those two weeks. One was I was able to do that and I was happy to, although I wished I didn't feel as uh, fatigued leading up to them, you know, as I did. But that's, I think, just life a little bit. I know I have things to work on. The other is... Uh, you alluded to this earlier that collectively, I think the world, I'm not even going to say, you know, our clients or anything. I think like literally everyone when it came to the end of December was ready for a break. Like, th- I don't know anyone who worked last week. Uh, th- you know, I got like no emails. Like do you think everyone is feeling that and took that time off because they had to?
0: Boy, I wish it was everyone. Cause that would include me.
1: <laughs> you worked last week, Mary Beth.
0: I did. I did. Well, and this is what wild. I mean by this is what I mean by um how it's a constant journey, right? It's a constant journey. And so recognizing like so we just put out this really awesome New Year's challenge for the month of January called the Permission to be Human Challenge. And so, you know, there was a lot that we had leading up to the first of the year. Right. You had work
1: to do. That's right. We
0: needed to get the emails together, right? We needed to do some follow-up. We're doing 15 live sessions, coaching sessions with people who are a part of it. So it's, it's this experience of like, okay... Do I want to be off right now? Heck, yes, I do. And trust me, my husband and I have just scheduled out for the entire year a week of vacation each quarter to just Oh, like, great. book it out, right? Book it out. But then there's that there's that that experience of at least in my case, this is not everyone's case, but in my case, like it's so damn exciting. I'm so excited about all this. Like we have people all over the world who want to do this. And at the same time, it's an experience of, come on, girlfriend, you got to take your own medicine. Like, are you, did you forget that you deserve to have time off also? And I think that for a lot of people, yes, this, this has been, um, the end of the year and this time always is a, is a really important time to rejuvenate and refresh. But 88% of people say that it is the most stressful time of the year also. So it's like, okay, are you really resting and rejuvenating or are you just filling that up with other things that are stressing you out? Um, and this is literally why we we do a monthly mindfulness series for leaders. We have It's completely free. People can come. They can invite their entire teams. We just had one earlier today. We have 300 people registered. So we are just like so excited to be offering things for teams and communities who really want to do this but maybe need a... A stepping stone to get there, and this is a great place to meet yourself at in in, in a potential stepping stone to a bigger possibility, or maybe this is what it is. But I will say that um, unfortunately, it was not everyone. And obviously, I'm biased in my response because I'm thinking about it through my own lens. But I said to my husband on a walk today, I was like, I can't wait to see where we are next year because in the process of recognizing how out of alignment we were with our value of inner harmony. We hired somebody. We hired a full-time person to take over um, a significant part of our marketing and communications, and they're they're starting in a few days, and will they'll be fully onboarded next month. But sometimes, again, it comes down to like you need to feel that pain to make another choice, um, and to choose to not do that again. And we can even do that with our choices around the holidays. So. You know, If people are saying they're stressed out, there's lots of other choices that you could be making. So like, okay, well, maybe you don't host a thing. Okay, well, maybe you don't have to be around that family member who makes you feel terrible every time you're with them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, Marybeth, tell us a little bit about the other uh, big idea in your life because I I love this one. I don't want to run out of time before you – tell um, our listeners what another vision of yours is. So in addition to helping companies and cultures, you know, be more human at work and and thrive in that regard, you also have a vision for a retreat center. So will you talk about that?
0: Yes, this is my quest to become a cowgirl, which is um, it sounds a little cliche, but it's actually real. So my great uncle, he was a cowboy by profession, and he was a master woodworker, and he bought this uh, beautiful piece of land, 100 acres of land in Idaho in a small town called Salmon, Idaho. The Salmon River runs through it, and um, it's on the top of a mountain. It's, uh, the Lewis and Clark Trail runs behind it, so it's all protected lands around it. And there's no TV, there's no internet, there's no cell reception. So you really are off the grid. There's no people, right? You're really, it's about a half hour to get up the driveway.
1: Oh my goodness. Where do you fly into?
0: You fly into Missoula, Montana, and then it's a two and a half hour drive from there.
1: And you better be ready to be disconnected. It sounds like. And
0: well, you know what's so cool about it is the drive is so darn gorgeous that you're just like so. The whole, at least for me, every time I'm just like, oh my gosh, like I'm so glad I'm here. And slowly but surely, as your drive goes on, you start losing bars.
1: Right. That's funny. So you get There's a very, poetic about that.
0: Yeah, you get a really um, physical, you know, experience with the shift. Um, and so yeah. what. What I've been I've been going out there since I was a little girl and my uncle passed um, away. He left the property to my mother who's leaving it to to me and um, will be carrying it on that legacy on and are in the beginning processes of like recognizing how many more people can benefit from this. So I've been going on solo retreats, Greg, I know we've talked about quite a few of those. Um, as friends outside of uh, these formal conversations. And and really, it came from going out by myself a couple times a year for years and writing about it, my solo retreats, being off the grid and really being totally disconnected from all other people and really just being fully saturated in nature and everything that I chose. Like I, I found out that I can go six days without needing to have human contact that's my max at least so far that's that's what that's what my tolerance is right now (laughs) wait
1: what about phone do you have a landline out there 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 is a landline so
0: yes exactly so if there's some kind of emergency you can absolutely use the landline but is your Um, vision
1: Mary Beth to bring people out there like this is your place now but in the future you'd love to make it a place that people go to for that experience for themselves yes
0: exactly so so our vision is to have a very boutique retreat experience we just just bought our first tiny home in October, which is so exciting. Wow, congratulations. Yes, it's like a really big deal. It's a really big step because the idea is that we'll have a few tiny homes scattered throughout the 100 acres, and then we will do the work that we do now, but in much, much different way so that um, we'll be inviting folks who are really interested in doing this values work more deeply within their own lives, within their organizations to disconnect from technology to reconnect to their humanity and and we have a pretty strong vision of an apprenticeship program where our apprentices will come out there for opening ceremonies and closing ceremonies and experiencing these this deeper connection and wisdom from mother nature that really um, you, you cannot avoid when you're at this place. It's, it's unavoidable and it just soaks into your pores and you're rejuvenated in a way that you didn't even realize was missing in your life.
1: Wow. That is so cool. Well, put me on the waiting list. If there is one, um, <laughs> I'm ready to fly to Missoula. All right. I want to bring you back to the business world for a couple last questions and then maybe a little rapid fire. We'll let you get back to your life. Um, so Mary Beth, Uh, I wanted to ask you, there was a quote in the book I read, and I wanted to just follow up on it. And it talked about how values aren't created, they are uncovered. And that like stuck with me. So take me a little deeper on that one, because I do think sometimes companies' values are top down. The management team gets in a room, they write what they think the values are, it goes on the poster, it goes in the handbook. But you advocate getting the entire company involved in this discussion and even voting on what do we think our values really are. And I was sort of like, huh, like, does that really work? (laughs) Uh, Do you really want to be democratic about that process? So I wanted you just to explain what you advocate and, and why you write that, why you say values are created, excuse me, aren't created, they are uncovered.
0: Yeah, I think that's actually very, very, very important. So exactly what you just said, Greg, is so oftentimes values are dictated and they are like bestowed on the team. So it's like, okay, we've been in business for 20 years and we've never had values, but now we're just going to have three executives sit in a room with a marketing and branding person and decide what the words are. Greg, I see I see your face right now. <laughs> <laughs> we is don't not ever do anything this like is, this. this. This is not a knock on marketing and branding by any way. We we need your help. This is so important to get the words right. How however, when you are doing it from a place of like, well, what are the words that are the most important to our industry right now? Right, like what are the words that we can use to attract more talent um, versus what actually intrinsically motivates our people here? So. That's what values are, they're intrinsic motivators. That's why values are so valuable, because when we activate them, we feel a sense of aliveness, purpose, you know, connection, all of these things that, as human beings, that's a part of what gives us a, a, a meaning, a meaning in life. And so when you can ignite that in people, you when you can connect your job to creating meaning in your life. There's really not much that's going to have that individual not want to be there anymore. You know, right. it's going to take a lot for that to shift. And so there, this goes back to what we were saying earlier in that there's a big difference between a, um, a branding exercise that's a, put on a nicely designed poster and actually living and embodying these things. And so if you actually want to live and embody, embody these things, being a part of that 10% that hopefully we're going to see expanding over the next few years – Um, then you got to understand, well, what do people want to embody, right? What is real? What's authentic? And there can be some aspirational values, right? So maybe you have an aspirational value of innovation. You're not as innovative as you'd like to be, but then you can say, all right, so how are we actually going to create some kind of, maybe we have a weekly shark tank kind of ideas that, you know, people throw out, um, and we, no ideas are bad, right? We create celebration around being vulnerable and sharing and things like that. So it's not to say that every single thing has to be like, oh, we are 100% living this right now, but rather, what do your people actually want? Uh, because otherwise, it's not fair to them and it's not fair to you because you just wasted a whole bunch of energy creating words that aren't going to have any legs, um, but otherwise you can really do it in a way where people are like, oh my gosh, they care about what we think about this, right? Like we're a part of this process. That's yeah, huge. I would guess
1: even the exercise makes people feel better about the organization they work for in that they get a voice. And I think that's usually important. Ownership.
0: They feel ownership over them, which is totally different than being told you have to own this.
1: Well, Mary Beth, thank you. I think that the, the you're on to something, obviously, I, uh, uh, both through the, uh, uh, I can tell from the responses you get on your LinkedIn posts to uh, how in demand you've become and, and the vision you're sharing with us and with everyone is really um, great. So thank you for that. If you want to yeah. learn more about Mary Beth, you can pick up her book, Permission to Be Human, which I'm sure you can find uh, everywhere. Uh, great books are sold online. Um, and also uh, your website, uh, Mary Beth, where can people find you online?
0: Yep, sparkvisionnow.com. And as I said before, and Greg just mentioned, I'm super active on LinkedIn. Would love to connect there too.
1: All right, Mary Beth, before I let you go, we're going to try something. Um, and you're going to, we'll see how this goes, but I'm just going to throw some rapid fire questions at you and your challenge. Fire. Your, your challenge is to answer <laughs> just very briefly with whatever comes to the top of your mind. And you don't have to go too deep into it, but just give okay. us you know, your response. So what's one thing you think is currently overrated?
0: Technology.
1: What's one thing you think is underrated? Nature. What's one thing in the news that you were fascinated by recently?
0: Grounding.
1: I'm sensing a theme. What's one organization? <laughs> <laughs> You're on brand, Mary, Mary Beth. I give you credit for that. Two more. Uh, what's one organization you've been inspired by recently?
0: Art with a Heart. Can I say why? Yes, please. <laughs> Art with a Heart is here locally in Baltimore, and I got to be a part of the unveiling of this beautiful mosaic sculpture that they created with people all over. The state in getting people to really come together through the feelings of love. And they created a mosaic um, from volunteers all over that ultimately created this huge heart that's like bigger than a human being. Um, so, anyway, that was extremely inspiring for me.
1: That's fantastic. I, I know uh, the organization. We used to be in the same office building and, and oh, I know they yeah. do wonderful work. Yeah. Um, and then, lastly, what's one thing you learned that changed your life?
0: Mindfulness. Yeah, I mean, I alluded to that before, but going from being a clinically diagnosed, having a clinically diagnosed work addiction to learning how to give myself permission to be human, how to take care of myself, you know, how to slow down the racing thoughts, that has been the the most profound thing I've ever learned.
1: Phenomenal. I think that's a great place to end. I want to just say thank you for spending some time with us.
0: Well, thank you for having me. It's a gift to be a part of this new adventure in your life, in your world, and I'll look forward to continuing to be a part of this what's sure to be robust community.
1: Thank you, Mary Beth. Great talking to you.
0: What's the Big Idea is a production of Able Communications, an award-winning PR firm based in Baltimore, Maryland. Our host is Greg Abel, founder and CEO. The show was produced by Martin Thompson and Katie Beecher. Special thanks to Amanda Mantiply and Molly Dressel. Thanks for listening.